0: Welcome to the Crafting Character Podcast, Steve Carter here, and in association with my good friends at CDF Capital and Food for the Hungry, who's just doing incredible work around the globe. I'm excited for today's conversation with pastor, writer, teacher, church planner, and actually a doctorate. I mean, it got a PhD from Ted's. I'm talking about the one and only Sharon Hottie Miller. And um, I'll tell you in a second, we're, we're going to have this conversation because I think the world of her preaching, uh, she has this ability when it comes to taking the deepest truths and making them profoundly accessible. She has a PhD, but I feel like she never uses that um, in in a way that makes me feel like I can't actually get after this text, but she really invites you with just her tone, with her command of preaching and her understanding of the, the context. It's fantastic. Now, for some of you, you've maybe read one of her books, like Free of Me, which is all about why life is better when it's not about you, or um, her most recent book that came out in 2019. The It's entitled Nice. Um, but for some of you, you've maybe never heard her preach, and after today, I guarantee you, you're going to want to go and start following Bright City Church based in North Carolina. So just so that you can get a sense of her sound, like we often do when we have preachers on this podcast, um, we should play a clip. And this is from a teach, uh, one that I just thought the world of. It's it's um, entitled We Are Heirs, and it, w- it kind of played in... Uh, in the middle of March, I believe March 21st of, of this year. And she does an amazing job of unpacking the biblical perspective of inheritance. So listen to this, and then we'll welcome Sharon to the podcast.
1: God begins to share his inheritance now in the present. And we see that language in verse 11, when Paul says, we have received this inheritance. There's this sense in which, As heirs in Christ, we're already receiving some of the inheritance of peace, of joy, of power, of hope now. But at the same time, we all know it's not as simple as that, is it? It's not as simple as your parents writing you a check when you need it and you depositing it into the bank, because there's a sense in which even though God has has declared this over us, that we have this available to us, we also struggle to, to claim it. We struggle to claim it. And that's another reason why I actually really like the illustration of The Princess Diaries is a big part of this movie is we see she finds out she is an heir and her life changes immediately. Immediately, she starts having a limo take her to school every day. Immediately, she's getting a makeover and she's getting access and she's getting power and she's getting privilege. But at the same time, this transition takes a while. Becoming an heir... Picking up, wielding this power and this responsibility, it is a learning process for her. And sometimes she does it very badly. And you you almost get the sense in verses 18 through 19 that Paul is acknowledging. We claim our inheritance very badly too. That This is hard. It's something we have to learn. It's something we have to practice. In verses 18 through 19, he says, I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened so that you may know what is the hope of his calling, what is the wealth of his glorious inheritance in the saints, and what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe according to the mighty working of his strength. He's he's acknowledging that that even though this is available to them, there's this sense in which it's also kind of a slow process that we need the guidance and the help of the Holy Spirit along the way that, that just because God says you are free, you have peace, you can have joy does not mean that we will never struggle again. It is a learning process. We are learning what it means to possess this inheritance
0: Sharon Hottie Miller, thank you so much for joining us on the Crafting Character Podcast. How are you doing today? I'm
1: doing really good. Thanks for inviting me.
0: Oh, for sure, for sure. Now we, we this is a podcast that's you know all about the craft of communication, but often uh, times we've all seen people who have spent so much time on the craft but not as much time on the character. And one of the my dreams is to continue to highlight people that um, I have people who. Just will send me emails or people who will reach out to you and go, you have to start listening to this person, or you have to get to know this person. And a few years back, um, some people that I think the world of were just raving about you. And so I started to kind of follow you on Twitter and I was like, Man, she is literally winning Twitter. I feel like you, Rich Velotas, Beth Moore, Chuck DeGroot, those are these are like some of my favorite followers on Twitter. But truly it was your teaching that I just found myself stepping back going, Oh my goodness, this, this woman's got a gift, an absolute gift. So we just heard a a little sample, a few minutes from this teach. We are heirs. Can maybe you give us a little of the kind of idea behind this teach, and then maybe we can chop it up a little bit from there.
1: Yeah. So when I was assigned to that particular passage, I, you know, split the teaching with my husband. And so sometimes I don't know until a week or two out, like what I've, you know, what I've been assigned to. And so when I realized that I was going to be speaking on what it means to be heirs in Christ, the question that arose in my mind that is often sort of my starting point is why should I care about this?
0: (laughs) (laughs) Yes, yes.
1: And I think, I think that's actually a big part of my personality where I, I'm a, I'm an interesting blend of, I really love the deep things of faith. I love theology, but I don't want to live there. Like, I also like light things. I like fun things. I'm really into Disney world. Like that tells you a lot about my personality. I like candy, like mental candy, and so I think that those two very different parts of my personality actually come together really well as a pastor and as a preacher because I can I can look at, okay, what is the theology of this passage? Like, what is it saying? And then I think, okay, this is going to be boring. Like, how do I make this not boring? <laughs> I'm an Enneagram 7. That might also be <laughs> like a big part of it. Um, it's like, how do I make this really interesting? How do, how, how do I teach this in a way where people— see that this profoundly is relevant to their lives. And so that was, that was my starting point for that message and for a lot of my messages.
0: When you think about the, the idea of inheritance, and again, when you listen to this teach, what I really, really appreciated, you dropped three levels of kind of understanding biblical inheritance. And you know, you, you talked about it. You know, a future inheritance. You talked about like a present inheritance, and then mm-hmm. the clip that we just heard—that's that's all about almost like this inheritance where you receive these new spiritual genes. Mm-hmm. But you you did exactly what you just sh- uh, showcased because in the teach you're you're going and that's like you're dropping insights and 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 helping me understand the context, and then you throw in a little Princess Diaries, and then you know a little <laughs> bit of a. Uh, you know, coming to America part two, but then just keep pushing. And, and I could feel like, again, the whole room is just able to go with you. There, there's oftentimes I think we lose people and, but I feel like you don't compromise the depth, um, but you, you almost create just these mental um, exhales for people just to like laugh or like just breathe. But they're like, oh yeah, we're still going. We're still going. But you did something in this teach that I did not see coming. And these are my favorite parts of a great message is because I'm like, oh, she's about to land the plane. She's coming down. She's just talked about like spiritual gifts and like how we need to, to live this out. And then you flipped it and you talked about how there is a divide often when it comes to family inheritances. Where often insecurities and, and brokenness begins to come up because we don't feel like we are going to be taken care of, or the way mm-hmm. that you said it, provided for. Mm-hmm. I thought it was so genius, and then you almost led into these two profound theological application points that um, I just have not stopped being able to think about since I heard this teach uh, a few, like, and I went back and rewatched it a few weeks ago. I, I, I'm curious. Oftentimes people start with tension mm-hmm. and and you started with it like basically, why why should I care about this? But you you in some way saved the biggest tension for the end and I just was so curious about that like that was I felt like it was genius and it just was like a master class in preaching and again you should go back and, and go to Bright City Church if you're a listener and a, a student of communication and just listen to this teach and watch how she turns it at the very end but in your prep process it it made me curious why did you place the tension right there it was the right move in my opinion mm-hmm. but like why? There, if that, if you if you remember March um, way back
1: then, yeah. So I, I think there's there's two different two different reasons. So whenever I write a sermon, I I don't know what other people's approaches are, but it's very almost mystical. Like I'm kind of you know prayerful and and really trying to listen to the Holy Spirit and seeing where it takes me. And that's also how I write. Is I'll I'll have kind of an outline. But when I sit down to write a chapter, I don't always know where it's gonna go. Like I'm I'm sort of very open-handed with, okay, God, where are you gonna take me in this? And so that's that's my approach. Like even with I'll research and read commentaries, and the whole time I'm just listening for, you know, where where do you want me to go with this, God? And so my sermon writing process is, is a lot like that too. And so it wasn't necessarily where I thought I'm going to very intentionally, you know, land this way. But also, so my, my PhD was in educational studies. And so a big part of my education was learning learning theory. And one really simple nugget that I took from that is that people remember the first thing that they hear, hear and the last thing that they hear. And what's in the middle, they tend to retain the least and that has a lot of different applications in terms of even just the length of a sermon. Like the longer your sermon is, the less people are going to retain. You know, if it's shorter then you know, what's between the middle and the end or beginning and end, they'll just retain more. And so I really want to make sure with every message that where I start and where I land are going to be some of my strongest points because that's what people are actually going to remember. And so that's a big part of it.
0: That's amazing. I, I, I've never thought about that, but that totally makes sense. I mean, that when you think about the power of a of a great bookend, you know, mm-hmm. just that introduction and that close. Um, are there are there other learning theories that maybe you came in to your um, kind of PhD program with an assumption of, hey, no, this is this is, you know, forty two minutes is is the optimal length, and then after mm-hmm. going through the course, you're like, ooh, maybe twenty eight or something. Yeah. Like, other theories that just became so essential for how you and Ike, your husband, um, kind of arranged the setup of Bright City Church Mm -hmm. and preaching.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, people's attention spans are only about seven minutes long. And so, which is so short. (laughs) Yeah, And so that's also why it's really important to break up your dense points with a story or something that can kind of wake people back up to what you're saying. Either that or what you're teaching just has to be like, Really, really good. <laughs> so I'm always kind of doing that math where I'm like, okay, I haven't had a story in a while, or I haven't had anything to kind of break this up for people whose brains have drifted. And um, is is the content that good? You know, <laughs>
0: yeah, totally, <laughs> like, totally.
1: Keep going. So yeah, that that has been really helpful. But but otherwise, I mean, I think what I've been in a journey on, and, and that's why I was really honored that you invited me in the first place. Cause I've only really been preaching regularly for a, a few years. And so I feel very much at the beginning of the craft and it's, there's things that are just opening up to me about, you know, I used to be much more of a linear teacher and now I want it to be more artful and, I want to engage people's emotions. You know, emotion is a really powerful part of learning as well. And that that takes time to, you know, tap into people's emotions that way. And so a lot of that I'm just starting to, to figure out. And so even just having you share some of my teaching now is, is really humbling because I am very aware <laughs> of how I need to grow.
0: Well, I, I think one of the things that I, I appreciate most about um, the communicators I love to receive and listen and learn from all is how thoughtful they are. And I think that's one of the pieces that I've appreciated uh, the most about you and some of uh, my other favorites. I'm curious. I mean, as a, as a PhD, you know, I want to say student, but you actually have your, your PhD. Um, as an author, do you feel like you're preaching, um, you're more of a writer who communicates like you start Mm -hmm. from like the craft of writing and Mm -hmm. learning how to almost speak it, but you feel more comfortable kind of like writing a paper or writing a book. Or are you someone who's naturally the seven in you? That's Mm -hmm. like, no, I I'm telling stories and I love to see how, and then I go back and I'm trying to capture it with pen and paper or computer and, and, I don't know how you would say it, stuff that you would type, you know? So uh, how do you, how do you see that? Because I just, again, your thoughtfulness is really, really unique.
1: Yeah. I think if you had asked me that question three years ago, I would have said, I'm a writer who speaks, okay. but that was before I was preaching regularly. And I, I thank my husband on a regular basis for pushing me to be the teaching pastor at our church, because I based on where our lives were at, like I was finishing my second book. We just had our third child. We were launching a church and I just didn't, I wasn't sure I had the bandwidth for that. And it was very important to him that I have this, this teaching pastor role. And I'm so grateful because I, it's amazing to me that I've lived so much of my life not knowing that that was something God created me to do. Yeah. And I really I love preaching. Like I had no idea like at from start to finish I feel like I meet God when with you know every every bit of it. And so now and someone actually just asked me this the other day they said do you speak to write or write to speak? And I said neither. They're they're actually kind of separate for, they're both things that I really, really enjoy. Now that said, I am a wordsmith. And so I'm, my sermons are heavily manuscripted. Like if you were looking at my manuscript, I, I follow it pretty closely because I really work on my language and want to, you know, capture things in just the right way. And so I think my writing, you know, does come through with my preaching, but at the same time, when I'm actually delivering that, I'm using kind of different muscles, if that makes sense.
0: Totally. Totally. Okay. Explain this because I think from the outside, I get the sense that, you know, September, 2018, you and Ike, your husband planted bright city church, mm-hmm. but how does the the leadership work? How often is he preaching? How often are you preaching? Like, what does mm-hmm. it, what, what does that look like? Just tell us a little bit more, because I think one, um, cause you both are, you both have PhDs, right?
1: Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So
0: I just like just I mean you guys are so gifted and I just love even the the way that he has kind of amplified your voice and 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 saw the gift and I and I find that to be so um, in both women and men where somebody else saw the gift and goes you need to be doing this mm-hmm. and for the kingdom's sake you know and but just give us a little background how Bright City Church mm-hmm. is arranged and the roles and all of that.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, so my husband's the lead pastor. I have a teaching pastor role. Right now, that means I'm preaching once or twice a month. Uh, I would like, especially as my kids are getting older, during the pandemic, that was just bananas.
0: Yeah, right. <laughs> and I was
1: probably teaching even less. But uh, yeah, I'm hoping to actually preach even more Like as my kids get older and are in school because our daughter's still in preschool, and so she's, she's home a lot. Um, but yeah, so we, we have been figuring out what that dynamic looks like. It's, it's actually been very challenging in some ways because he is the lead pastor, but because we're married and because I'm on staff, people still come to me and will ask me questions or want me to sign off on things. And for a period of time, you know, when we're just starting out and everything's very organic, that was okay But as we've grown, that becomes really confusing for the other leaders in our church. And so I've had to intentionally step back. So so that has been, there's been growing pains with that. Uh, There's also just the trickiness of being married and also leading a church together. And I, whenever anything church related comes up, I tend to put on my pastor hat and want to go into, you know, co co-labor teammate mode. And what I've been learning more and more is that 90% of the time, maybe 95% of the time, Ike is wanting me to be in wife mode and listen and not give him, you know, answers. And so it, it has been hard. And, and even um, we co-teach every month or so. And that, was, that has been amazing because I think our styles are very different, and I often say that I feel like when people see us teaching together, it's like this echo from the garden of you know what God intended for man and wife, you know, men and women. Uh, but the preparation process is very difficult because our our preparation is so different, and our styles are very different, and so. Um, all of that has been, has been tricky. <laughs> yeah. Like even well, in that message, I think, I think I mentioned how, you know, the spiritual genes thing, I ran it by Eichen who's like, I don't know about that because he's, he's just much more theologically, you know, precise. And I'm a little more, you know, creative with things.
0: Yeah. Well, I, I it's fun to watch because, and I, I think it does showcase, you know, the uniqueness one of the giftings, but then I think too, just, um, how you two have fought to like really, uh, embody this model. And I think that's just a powerful piece. Um, and it, and it is interesting because, you know, I think marriage is a, is a mirror to our beauty and brokenness, you know, it's like someone's reflecting back, but then I think also sometimes you're like, Oh man, like this is like, I'll often say, you know, I don't know if I've ever been this like explicit on the, on the podcast about this, but I think, from all, for since the beginning of ministry because of the people that I served under, like all I ever was taught was egalitarian. Like that's, mm-hmm. that's what I was taught. So it was like a no brainer, but I was an only child and I get married and I was like, yeah, totally egalitarian. But then something started to stir inside me and I realized I'm, I'm fully that unless some, like I want Sarah, my wife, to be able to do whatever she wants But like, it just can't come at a cost at what I want to do. Mm -hmm. And I was like, all of a sudden, we started like reflecting this like year four and five. And in concept or theory, I was one way. But then, like, at this like mark, I realized like, oh, I've got to, I've got to, I'm actually like living more like a, almost like it's all in service of me. So I just love like the fact that. Ike was able to see your gifting, make space for that, even the team teach, even the stylistic differences. I just think, man, our, our that that is a gift for that greater triangle. Is that what they call it in Raleigh and Durham? Like the Oh yeah.
1: Uh-huh. Yeah, know, just
0: that whole area. It's just mm-hmm. what a gift and a model. Um, and I think even for for my wife and I, we're like, man, that's that's such a beautiful, beautiful picture. Um, I'm curious, like from a, a message like, if I were to ask you to come speak, and I I gave you like a topic, walk us through just yeah wh- what's what's kind of your you asked that one question like why why should I even care about this which I love from there where do you go are there ne- mm-hmm. another other clear next steps for you
1: mm-hmm. yeah well as I mentioned I usually so we we primarily teach, we do expository teaching. We, we don't do very many topical. I find topical series to be very difficult, actually. I feel kind of untethered from scripture. And I know that that might sound weird because when you have a topic, you then have passages. But I find that when I'm picking the passages, it sort of lends itself to this inherent shallowness. I don't know why. Uh, whereas we're, if we're going through passages where I have to, like, for instance, I just gave a message on Ephesians six and the teaching slaves, obey your masters, which I would not have picked to preach on that, you know, Right. (laughs) but it took us to, it took us to this deep, beautiful place. And so that's, that's my preference. But all that to say, I usually just, I read tons and tons of commentaries and, I am constantly praying and asking God, you know, where do you want me to go with this? And I go on walks. I, you know, I'm just sort of like living in that space and, and seeing, you know, where it takes me. But I think the, the question that is always sort of hanging over me is not just, you know, why should I care about this, but what is beautiful about this? Wow. Um, we are in, you know, the Bible belt where, cultural Christianity is in the air. And we, because of that, actually there's a ton of church hurt. Like there's a lot of cynicism and I would imagine it's probably similar in like the Chicago area. Um, But although you're in Phoenix, right? I'm in
0: Phoenix. Yeah. Um,
1: And so, yeah, it's, there's a lot of cynicism. Uh, There, we have a lot of people at our church who, being there is sort of a risk like like they're they're sort of taking a risk by coming back to church and we feel the weight of that of of being really that these are God's kids and we want to be really careful with them and so what i i really want to do is is convince them of the beauty of God's word and the beauty of God's vision for them and you know especially when we're talking about things like sexual ethics where there's been a lot of legalism and a lot of shame and and saying we want to hold on to what scripture says but not for the reasons that you were given you know this this better this better vision and so i think that's also something that is is driving how I teach and then related to the church hurt is is also just being very careful with the the people. It it is, it feels a lot like we're in the mission field, even though we're in North Carolina because people are so, they come in with a posture of like, convince me, convince me. And I, I'm not going to stand in front of them like I'm standing over them, convincing them. I'm I'm actually starting below them, in some yes. ways. Yes. Instead of have that humility and that sensitivity to you know why they feel that way in the first place.
0: Well, you, you mentioned the word cynicism, and so mm-hmm. I, I like it triggered a a, a memory of like a, a tweet that you had posted earlier this week, and I like mm-hmm. picked up my phone to find it, and you said uh, there is criticism that comes from cynicism. And criticism that comes from hope, which just when I started to think about like, oh man, like there's just a way at which you look at things, you know, um, w- not just why should I care, but, um, what makes this beautiful and Hey, in, in with all this hurt, where can there be uh, hope found or, or beauty found? So, so take me in, say you're, you're, you're plowing through some of your favorite commentaries. and I I think I'm always trying to to help people who are either new or who have been kind of preaching. um, What, what are you looking for? Like when you, when you are like reading through those commentaries and again, you're so well-read you're so intentional and thoughtful with your words. um, You, you, you carry the hurt and the pain and the ache of your people um, and also the, the prophetic vision and the, and the beauty of you know, even in your, even in bright cities, like kind of vision, I keep seeing this word restored, restored, mm-hmm. restored. Like you, there's a, there's a restoration heart that you all carry. Mm-hmm. Um, but when you're going through that, is it, is it a line? Is it an idea? Is mm-hmm. it, is it, a, what's that mysterious you use that, that mm-hmm. mystical, what's that, what's that thing that you're chasing?
1: I think I'm either looking for something that inspires me or something that helps me to see the passage in a way that I've never seen it before. And that's why I like want, like, I know you're getting together with uh, Stanley Hauerwas soon and he's just, you know, a genius. And he, his commentary on Matthew is one that I would just read that book, just to read it, you know, because that's, that's what he does. He always comes at it from a perspective that I've just never thought of before. And I love that. And I think that's part of what makes it interesting to me is, is I don't want to preach a message that isn't interesting to me. <laughs> yes. <laughs> the yes. The day. And so I think, again, like it's very Enneagram seven, very, you know, um, probably not like a little bit shallow, but I'm like, I want this to be interesting to me. <laughs> <laughs> and so that's what I'm always looking for.
0: Yeah. Well, but I, you know, and oftentimes sevens are often known as people who are pain, um, almost struggle with being like, sober of stimulation or like mm-hmm. avoiding pain at all costs. Yeah. But I do feel like you have an ability to wade well into the deeper streams. I mean again I've seen it on Twitter. I've seen it in your preaching. Um, how you and Ike have walked um and led through just 2020 just it's just been beautiful on so many fronts. Um, that feels uncharacteristic of a seven in a lot of ways um, because it's, you know, oftentimes just jumping from thing to thing, but man, there's a, there's a level of intentionality that you have. I'm, I'm curious, you mentioned like going on walks. Mm-hmm. What's as you, as you've typically read through and maybe gone through and got some of that inspiration, it, what's, why does, why the walks? Cause I do that too. But like, I'm curious, just again, I'm just trying to learn from you, but like, what's the, what, what are you trying to do mm-hmm. on those walks?
1: Yeah. Well, I mean, a big part of it is is really physiological. Like like exercise stimulates your brain. And so that was, especially when I was writing my first book, Free of Me, I would, my kids were really little. I still can't believe I did this. This was terrible. <laughs> um, not in like a neglectful parent way, but just in a, how did I do this? Uh, I would go to the YMCA I would put my kids in the childcare at the YMCA and then I would sit at a table and write. And then occasionally I would take a break and I would just walk around the indoor track and think about it. And then I would take notes on my phone. And that was how I got some of my actually best ideas. There's something about moving your body that somehow like stimulates brain activity. And so honestly, it really is as simple as that, is I know this is gonna wake me up and help me to have ideas that I might not have had before. So I, I've been doing that even like right now, I'm, you know, in a cabin. That's why I think before we started recording, I said this, that's why it's so echoey is because I'm in a cabin writing and I'll just walk around the property and try and, you know, figure things out, solve problems.
0: We're so similar because I did the same exact thing. Um, I've, I write uh, my messages, manuscript them on my phone um, mm-hmm. in the notes page. And and then I'm like, And then oftentimes I'll have um, the Otter app, which is like transcribes. And so I'll speak it and and then I'll like go back and and listen to it as I'm walking and then write. But there is something for me that I feel – unlocked and un- mm-hmm. just almost like f- more free with the movement, you know, mm-hmm. than yeah. almost the restraint behind a uh, computer. And I just, I love that you have found that for you. So, so now you, let's say you, you've gone for a walk. Is it kind of like you're honing down? If we take your, we are errors" message, are you honing down to go, okay, I think these are the, the buckets or the chunks mm-hmm. of the teach in the, you know, future inheritance, present inheritance. I got this like swirling idea of these mm-hmm. spiritual genes. Like, and then do you go to manuscripts or is it go back and forth of walking, writing, walking, writing?
1: Usually, I'm actually surprisingly, the manuscripting comes somewhat late. Like I I sort of get to a point where I really know like what I want it to say, like in my brain and then when I start to, you know, I sit down, it's not that I then write it all out. I still, in the writing, it sort of takes me places, but I've got to get like that core hook, you know? Like, like what is the, what is the main thing that I'm, I feel really excited about and that I think is like the word that our people need to hear?
0: That's so good. That's so good. Well, I mean, I think, again, the, the ability um, to make it so deep and so intentional and accessible. it just, it comes through, but I think it's that, I would say it's like a marinating process of just Mm -hmm. that walking. It seems like it's like getting deep into your bones or the walk is like getting out of your body, like the Jeremiah 20, like Mm -hmm. there's a fire in my bones. You know, Um, I I, I think for, you know, if I think back of your your oldest is eight years old.
1: Yeah, he's about to turn nine. Mm -hmm.
0: About to turn nine. Okay, so in the last nine years, your family's done two phds yeah You've released two books you, well
1: actually my husband also uh published his dissertation
0: <laughs> publishes his, okay so we got this you planted a church um, um covid hits yes you continued to to teach outside i mean mm-hmm. uh, i think one of the things i had found from you way back was the sheworships.com like you mm-hmm. you were blogging regularly you know tweeting um it seems like your family, just the five of you. There's just something special. It seems like you just love your local church. It's just, it just seems like it seems like you too. And again, the character piece for for us is so so important. Um, how how are you two choosing health and character? Mm-hmm. Like what what does that look like um, when you've got three littles? A little church—I no, say little church, but I'm saying young church—and yeah. three years old, mm-hmm. less than three years old. Yeah. Um, like, h- how are you? I guess managing it all and mm-hmm. and doing so well?
1: <laughs> well. I wouldn't say we're doing so well. <laughs> I mean, this—if if my husband was here, we we responded to the pandemic very very differently. Okay. Uh, so for me, I going into the pandemic, my my drumbeat for the church has always been discipleship. But going into the pandemic, I felt really frustrated about it because everyone was over scheduled, they're overcommitted, you know, and nationwide, the average churchgoer goes to church once, maybe twice a month. Right. And so I was watching this and I could see it before my eyes and just thinking, how do you disciple people, you know, and, and you can just see that, that lack of discipleship, you know, everywhere. And so I felt really frustrated by that. It's like I could see the goalpost, but but there were so many obstacles to reach it. When the pandemic came, I felt like all the obstacles were removed and we could just we had like a clear path to the goal, just like run the ball. That's that's how I felt. My husband felt like where are the goalposts? Like, what happened to them? I don't even know where they are. You know, kind of thing. Um, so we had like very different, very different uh, responses. And then the thing that my husband has actually been very, very open about, he's written a number of articles about it for Christianity Today, but he, his dad was an alcoholic and uh, his dad passed away quite a while ago now, but he thought he had worked through a lot of how that had impacted him, but the pandemic unearthed a lot. Yep. And so he, last summer, he just hit a wall. Mm-hmm. And we realized very quickly, you have to take a sabbatical right now, like immediately. And so last summer, he actually took four weeks off. And it was, it was interesting because he had told one of his close friends who was at kind of a, a large church in the area, like I'm taking a sabbatical. And his friend sort of raised his eyebrows a little bit because their senior pastor had never taken a sabbatical ever. (laughs) Right. And he was kind of like, you know, you're only a year and a half in, you know, what's, what's going on. And to me, that is the problem in a nutshell is We are measuring pastors by their performance, you know, by the product of their preaching. We're telling them, be healthy. We're telling them, you know, practice spiritual disciplines, you know, take care of yourself. But then we are submerging them in this toxic culture where you can literally be ranked on Yelp. And I, I really, I think... I've I've had a lot of I'm kind of going off on like a rabbit trail right now, but I've I've really had a lot of questions about our model of church, and I've I've been really grateful for the pandemic decentralizing preaching. Honestly, like for, for preaching on yep. the podcast, yep. I actually think it's really unhealthy when we say this is the center. You know of of You know, everything else kind of revolves and this makes or breaks your church. I I think it is impossible to expect health from pastors. And so that's the funny thing for me. As much as I love preaching, I do not feel the burden that this makes or breaks our church. Right. I in fact, I also don't even feel the burden that this is the most important part of our people's discipleship. I don't believe that at all. I think that it's, you know, Jesus preached sermons, but the core of his discipleship was living with people. And so we've really, you know, leaned into that and I, I by really encouraging small groups, but I think that the more we are able to receive the gift of not having a Sunday-centric model of church, you know, the healthier that will be. So that's a long answer.
0: No, I love that though. I think that's I think that's so so true. And and it, it's amazing is because we can use language that is oh we care about formation, we care about discipleship, we care about character, but all of our metrics are driven by performance. Right. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? So, so it's, 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 it's really, really tricky to say, Oh, we're for this. You measure what you're, what you value, you know? Mm-hmm. And, yeah. and I think that's the, that's been the hardest part when it comes mm-hmm. to the local context is we are just um, some for some, some congregations and some places um, very, very clear about what they value and what they measure. And mm-hmm. some are um, almost subconsciously saying, we, we value this, we don't ever measure it, but we, we almost assume that you're doing this, but this is, we're not going to talk about like that we really value this, but this is what we truly measure. Yeah. And I just, yeah. I think that you're so right. We are missing it. And I, I'm curious though for you, because again, I, I just, I, lo- I love the way you think about this. For, for you, what does discipling yourself look like? You mm-hmm. know, in, in in that, like, so that, you know, you can pastor well, that mm-hmm. you can lead well, that you can partner well with mm-hmm. your husband, that you can, you know, be a great parent to your kids. But but really, I think there's this incarnational ability that you were describing that Christ modeled again mm-hmm. and again, whether with a child or, you know, um, a, a soldier or some a woman at the well, like just people he always had he was always overflowing with more mm-hmm. and if not then he was like I'm gonna get on a boat but like he he modeled this what does what does that look like for you in practice and shape and form?
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah well I'm really grateful for the message in my first book free of me and that that message of self-forgetfulness because that came out before we planted about a year before we planted and I yeah, I'm just, I'm really grateful for the spiritual work that went into that because it really, I felt like through that God put to death a lot of the things that when you go into leading a church will put to death you. (laughs) (laughs) And so I was able to really hold a lot of those things lightly. And it's, it has been, it's helped me to hold on to the joy of, you know, ministry. So that, that dying to self, you know, is, it's so much easier said than done, but just receiving all the things where where God is clearly saying this is killing you and I'm trying to take it out of you and instead of holding on to it you know just releasing it and I, and I think so much of the pandemic was that where right. I feel like God was saying hey pastors this is killing you like this model of church is actually killing you in so many different ways what if we put a pin in that and give you a different model? And there's, I still see so many pastors who were fighting that tooth and nail, and I'm like, you're you're gonna fight that all the way to just soul death. And so I think just receiving, you know, the natural sanctification of, you know, leading and, and ministering of this experience is is a big thing. But I, I'll be honest, one thing that has been really hard for me is there. I don't know almost any women in my vicinity who are doing what I'm doing or even understand. And so I have really, I mean, when we announced we were launching a church, I had a line of men who were calling him and texting him and reaching out and saying, if you need anything, like we can meet, you know, he has a number of different guys that that he meets with regularly. And I don't, there's no one, <laughs> there's no one, you know, in my town, um, I have relationships with women in other parts of the country. Uh, what I really crave is someone who, you know, lives in town, you know, and, and so, so that is something that, especially for women who are listening, uh, who are probably, you know, resonating with that. And, and to say that I am with you, I feel that. I think, I also think that's why our work matters is that I think the more that we do this, the more, you know, we will be that for the women coming behind us. But, but I really, I, I, I would probably honestly be healthier if I had mentors around nearby. Uh, that's, that's a huge gap in my discipleship right now.
0: Yeah, I think that's a, I think that's a, such a great, great point. And I think, I feel that, you know, in the sense of it's, it's easy for me to, you know, I moved into Phoenix and, you know, I was able to reach out to, uh, a bunch of different pastors and, and get connections, and there were um, a couple moments where I had some friends, uh, some women, women of color who moved into a different city, and I just realized like, oh, they're they're doing Zoom calls with people in different states, um, and and I just was like, oh, that is that's that that's got to feel so lonely in some ways mm-hmm. um, because you know every. You know, I believe God calls us to places. Part of our calling is proximate to the pain and mm-hmm. um, a city's ache and and the strongholds, all that. But like sometimes it's hard to kind of, you know, if you're connecting with someone in Chicago or Phoenix for you to understand what what Durham or Raleigh mm-hmm. is actually yeah. all about. You know, and so yeah. to have people there, man, that's that's really really good. And and I'm and I'm also really really grateful because. I think never before have we had this many examples of women who are teaching and preaching and leading and discipling and just doing amazing work. And, and hear me say this loud and clear, it's still not enough. um, And we need, we need way more, but like, I I also go, gosh, like um, what my daughter will be able to hopefully see in the local church because of women like you leaders like you. Um, I hope that, you know, fast forward a decade, There are people, and there's multiple people that you will be able to reach out to. Um, Yeah,
1: and I think there will be. I actually feel confident about ten years from now. I think that I think church leadership is going to look different than it does now.
0: Okay, so that that brings up because I was I was going here. What do you see like Mm -hmm. in five years? Mm -hmm. What's you know if if I think about you know, uh, isn't she beautiful? The church, you know, the bride Mm -hmm. of Christ, like Mm -hmm. this beautiful, radiant vision. Mm Where do you see it going in five to ten years? I mean, everyone's got their take. Some people are trying to return it back to what it was, and yeah. you know, and this is a time to like create something, I think, or reclaim something. Yeah. What, what do you see it to be?
1: Yeah, I was actually, I was just thinking about this this specific topic just the other day. I I really do think we are seeing the front edge of a huge shift in women in leadership in the church. And the reason I think that is, so we're in the South and granted Durham is very different from the rest of North Carolina. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's much more progressive. So it's not necessarily, you know, a reflection of all of North Carolina, but still it is in the South yep. and almost everyone who's a Christian has spent some amount of time in the Southern Baptist church. And so when we were first recruiting for our church and we would get to the part where we would say, and also Sharon is going to be preaching and she's going to have a pastor title. How do you feel about that? And especially when we were talking to someone that we knew had, had been raised Southern Baptist or was coming from a Southern Baptist background, I would always, you know, get really nervous and think, you know, what are they going to say? And we were shocked at how excited people were. Mm. Not once was anyone, did anyone say that was a deal breaker? Like even people who, you know, weren't necessarily on the same page, they were still open to it. And one man started weeping. He was so happy. And, And he said, finally, you know, finally. And it's not that there weren't any churches, you know, especially the mainline Protestant churches and then some of the black churches and more pentecostal churches there there are more women tend to be leading in those traditions but in you know the more evangelical ones there there are none in our area and so we it was it was amazing because we thought we were sticking our necks out and we thought we we were kind of on this front edge And what we discovered was God said, Oh no, I'm, I'm on the front edge. Yes. Like I'm ahead of you. Like I've been making a way you, you just said, yes, but I'm, I'm doing all the work here, (laughs) like changing people's hearts. Yes, And so, and, and people often ask me because we are in the South, you know, do I get a lot of pushback? And it could also be because I'm not the lead pastor or I'm leading with my husband, um, I often joke that if people have an issue with me being a pastor, I, I tell them I'm just submitting to my husband. But um, <laughs> yeah, I mean, it really it, it has been amazing to see that we we are doing something that you know we we thought we were taking this big risk, and it wasn't at all um, that it, it just showed me God's been preparing hearts, and I even see this with complementarian churches where. There is a softening of hearts towards the importance of advocating for women, even in your tradition, you know, and which, which wasn't really there before. I I think there was a language in complementarian churches of, you know, yes, like women have value, but in terms of advocating for their gifts, that, that wasn't always there. And it is now in a lot of complementarian churches, it is. And so I, I definitely see this, this wind of the Holy Spirit that is moving the whole church in a very particular direction. And I do think 10 years from now, because women now in my area, they never would have seen, young girls would not have seen a woman preaching. And now that is their reality. Like that, that is what, what is possible for them. So I do think 10 years from now, we'll see a lot more women leading.
0: Uh, maybe so, Lord. Maybe so. I, I, I hope that's I hope that is the case, and I think it's a a beautiful reflection of um, the the image of God when we have um, uh we just have it just re- we have healthy representation of the mm-hmm. gifts of God. So, um, hey Sharon, thank you. Um, I I, I just um, I feel like there's a thousand more questions I want to ask you, and I'm um, just so curious about. Um, but I will tell you, um, I really, really enjoyed Free of Me. I thought that was a fantastic book. I think the the title is so strong. And I just think the idea of it, and you even just alluded to one of my favorite parts of the book, when you talk about self-forgetfulness, I think that is a, man, just as as a three on the Enneagram, it's very, very hard for me to be free of me. Um, yeah. And uh, yeah. i can very good at centering me. Um, mm-hmm. And so it's just a really, really helpful word. Um, and so, hey, if you've not picked up that book, please do. It's a fantastic, fantastic read. Um, Where else can people find you?
1: Well, I, you mentioned my blog, which i actually laid somewhat dormant because, (laughs) you know, some things have to just be let go for a season, but I'm actually probably most active on Instagram or Twitter. And you can just find me on Instagram at Sharon H. Miller.
0: Awesome. And then Twitter, what's Twitter is a different handle though.
1: Yeah. It's someone else owns the Sharon H. Miller handle. So it's just S hottie Miller.
0: As Hottie H O D D E Miller. Yeah, awesome. or you can
1: just Google share or search Sharon Hottie Miller, and it'll pull it- me up.
0: Yes. It's, it's it's worth it. Follow that. It is <laughs> worth it. It is worth it. Well, hey, everyone. Thank you so much for tuning in. And seriously, if there's ever ways that we can serve you and help you um, grow in the craft of communication, but always helping you have your character lead the way, please reach out. My email is steve at steve com. And we've got some incredible, incredible uh, cohorts that are beginning. The one, the only Nancy Beach is leading um, a both women's and men's cohort together. Um, and I'm excited because I think the world of Nancy, she is just a, just an amazing, amazing leader, preacher, woman, um, and just a, a friend of mine. So super, super excited. You can learn more about that at craftingcharacter.org. But please, friends, share this um go listen to Sharon and Ike's preaching at Bright City Church give them a follow and with that if there's ever any ways we can serve you please 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 reach out but i hope you have a blessed blessed week let's keep letting our character in Christ lead the way much love everyone grace and peace this episode is brought to you in part by the Beyond Ordinary Women Ministries podcast. Do you want to grow in your influence? Bows episodes feature tips for leaders of any kind, from mentoring one woman to leading a ministry. Browse Bows podcast at beyondordinarywomen.org.